And it was an absolute game changer, you know, because it didn't exist before. So we just rewrote everything and started from scratch. And it's, I think it's going to be really impactful. Actually, I don't think just for Coach, I think it's going to be Coach Topia is going to have an impact across our industry. I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders, and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. Hello. Welcome to my new season of podcasts. We have a fine season ahead, including an interview with Giorgio Armani. And I'll tell you later, because today we're going to hear from Stuart Vevers in New York. He is the executive creative director of Coach. And as the brand marks 10 years with Stuart, I talked to the British-born designer a few days before his New York Fashion Week Spring-Summer 2024 show. The coach bag, which historically is a present on a graduation day, has leapt forward under Stuart's stewardship. He has also revered for launching an accomplished clothing line, which he introduced to the accessories brand. Let's hear how he brings the language of coach's history into today's collections and how he tunes into the global and American customer. You look as though you just came from holiday yesterday. Uh, well, it wasn't long ago. It was, uh, yeah, I was back from holiday on Monday. Right. Well, I decided that for the first time in, in 50 years, I was um, going to stay in beautiful England rather than go off to France or whatever. And I don't think it stopped raining a single day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's sometimes nice to do that, though. Well, I mean, clearly you've not done it before. You said first time in 50 years. but And by the way, I'm sitting here watching the rain. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, it's it's been the... I think it's the wettest summer I've ever known in New York. The city is so green. It's practically tropical. But actually today is beautiful. Clear blue skies, 25 degrees. It's lovely. It's because you're celebrating your 10 years. Well, exactly. Yeah. So, Stuart Rivers, I want to ask you a big question. It's New York Fashion Week coming up. And mm -hmm. you have a celebration of 10 years of giving Coach a spin. How do you feel about your show? And what can we expect from the show? Women's wear, men's wear, and those wonderful signature handbags. Well, I guess it's a week today. Our show is a week today. So whilst it is my 10th anniversary and we're going to celebrate it more kind of after the show, this is, it's certainly not a retrospective. It's just something that didn't feel right to me. So it's very much building on my last few seasons. And, and last season, in fact, felt like a, another step change for me. And I feel in my time at coach, every, you know, 
two or three years, I've created a step change and evolution. Uh, and last season felt like one of those. So in a way, I'm building from that. And it also it had a great response. So I'm really building from that, building on that long, lean silhouette that we started. A lot of the material manipulation, the, the kind of love-worn effects, I've really built on those. It will be uh, uh, women's wear, men's wear. And of course, there'll be a few bags in there. And did you say love-worn? Yeah, love-worn. Mm-hmm. Can you take that a bit further? Yeah, I I mean, during my time at Coach, I've always been drawn to a, a different side of luxury. It's been in many ways the opposite of, of well, not necessarily the opposite, but a in a way an antidote to perfection. Like, you know, so much of my career was this constant strive for perfection. And at Coach, being an American house from a different era, a New York City brand with all the kind of grit and attitude that suggests, I felt like I wanted something different. I I wanted, it wasn't about perfection. It was when you put on one of our leather jackets, you just instantly felt a bit cooler. And I, and I don't think you get that from a sense of perfection. I think you get it from a, a certain ruggedness or a, a love-worn effect or... You know, in, in the sense that you, you get that from a piece you might have had in your wardrobe for years. I want that you to feel like that immediately. Oh, but how do you keep fresh this idea that you've just convinced me about? I mean, we're talking now about the future, of course. We're thinking about the next 10 years. But how do you keep in that position that you've talked about of making things seem new or making them seem old, but always fresh? I'm obsessive about youth culture. I, I, I always have been, and it's from my own youth to, through to today. It's the history of youth culture youth culture from the current generation. Like, it's always held a real fascination for me. So it's often about studying, listening, talking to the next generation that I find really inspiring. And, you know, that comes in many forms, whether it's the research I do uh, for a collection or meeting the new faces when we're doing castings, seeing how those changes happen and some of these things start to bubble up. It's challenging, right? Because you've got used to something. Maybe you personally, you've got used to a a certain way of thinking. And to have that challenged isn't always easy, but I really try to allow myself to be challenged, to to listen. And, And so that's really the starting place for me of how I keep fresh, because seeing things from the past through the lens of the current generation, I also find really fascinating the way that like the current generation connects with the the heritage of coach in different ways is is really intriguing you know it's sometimes i just see it on the street like suddenly there's a piece from another era i don't know whether this teenager picked it out of their parents wardrobe or got it at a flea market it's usually not a new thing and it's fascinating for me how the context changes immediately. And do you actually go out and spot things from the past that you've never seen before, but you've realised by some details that you see it as part of the history of your company, but something that happened before you were around? Does that happen, that you actually get a ding 
because you recognise something and then you go and look it up. And yes, you have chosen right. It is actually something from the past that can now be embraced for a modern future. Yeah, it's very interesting. And there's an example I can give. I was, I can't remember what I, where I was viewing this, but there was pictures from a birthday party of Hari Neff. And there was an image of Hari, who, who's a friend of mine, with someone wearing a, a coach bag from, I would say, the, the early 2000s. And I was really intrigued because I'd not seen this era in, in that context. It was clearly a very, like, cool context. And then probably a couple of weeks later, I saw Hari and we were chatting and I, I specifically asked about this example. I was like, I saw this image of you and, and she said, oh, that's Alaska. She's really interesting. In fact, Alaska has walked our last, I think, three shows in the end. So uh, that was a great connection to make. She's also done some campaigns with us. But that was the first time I saw that. And then I occasionally I'd spot it on the street or in street style and I realized that this was more than just a one-off it was something that people were telling me we're interested in this this feels right for now and and at first because I remember asking Hari I was like was it ironic and she was like no it it's it's just she liked it. And this is a, a few years ago. And, you know, since then, the kind of early 2000s Y2K influence has been huge. Um, and this was kind of before a lot of that kicked in. Stuart, I, I want to go even further back than all that. I remember you telling me that your grandmother was your biggest inspiration. She was a costume designer. And um, as a child, she, when you were small, she piqued your interest into the world of garments and style. And all that is still inside your head. Is it true? Yeah, um, my grandmother was a big influence. She was a costume designer, but in a very lo-fi setting. It was amateur dramatics. She had a sewing machine at home, which she was always on. She had boxes of jewels and pearls and fabrics and as a young boy I would play dress up with her and I think in many ways she opened up the creative world to me you know I I, I come from a working class northern English background and you know there wasn't a lot of color and creativity in that world often uh, but my grandmother was a you know a real example of that and she she was also a really like wild person very naughty um so like when we would go and stay with her and our parents would leave for a night out and we'd be in bed she'd come and wake us up so that we could go downstairs and play she was just like such a fun joyful person and I think it, it's something that I I hope I've taken from her is that I always try to remember the joy in fashion and the joy that fashion can bring because it's really I try to make it the heart of what I what I, I, I do. Perhaps being um, English like you, I would like to explain to more people exactly what it's really like in Doncaster, which is, I think, where you were, up north, as we say in our language. And um, I would imagine that um, it's a long way from New York and many of the people who buy your clothes have never heard of this place, nor 
understood anything about it. But you somehow managed to tune into the coach customers. You made yourself in some way change so that you would be appropriate for an American company, which of course is sold around the world. But what actually is the real difference between New York City and UK? How did you manage to crack the American marketing spirit? It's it's a very interesting question. I, I probably don't know exactly why, but I can I can have a guess. I mean, I, I grew up in Doncaster. My family's from Carlisle. We moved there uh, when I was a, a teenager. But yeah, I spent all of my like formative years in, in the north of England and you know towns there. I think because what in the end what I realised I had a passion for was so different from any of my family. I had to fight for it in a way. You know, it wasn't a path that I just kind of fell upon. It was something that, you know, I had to be very persuasive, even with my father, about, like, why I wanted to do this, when at the time I didn't really know exactly what it was. But for sure what I I, I ha- definitely have from my parents is a, is a work ethic, you know, and it's it's never changed. I, I don't know what, you know, people talk about, like, a working-class anxiety or, like, what whatever it is, I have it. And, like, I, I just, I I've always been known for my work ethic. And I think it's important. You know, I, I do think it's important. I think in terms of how all that translates to New York City and, and an American house, in some ways, I think an outsider's perspective can be useful. You know, it's sometimes I think an outside perspective means you can actually tackle some of the most obvious things, some of the things that need to be tackled, you know, because I didn't grow up here, because I didn't grow up in the US or New York, it means so many of the everyday things are really intriguing, exotic, you know, to me. And in many ways, coaches are a down-to-earth, real house. So being able to tackle those everyday things from that perspective, I think can be helpful. It's interesting to me to think how far back coach goes, because people often say about American designer clothes and accessories that they're not nearly so far back as France or even Italy. But it actually started in 1941. I looked it up. And that's as part of the history of women's handbags. You've given the famous American bag company a a clothing line as well. That's very interesting to me because it's not always so easy to do that, although quite a lot of companies have tried. But this idea of bags to clothes, Coach has got a fantastic history, a fabulous one, and you had to know somehow how to expand it in apparel and other areas to make it all work for you. How easy was that? How did you manage seamlessly to take the brand beyond handbags yeah it's it's a it's a good point because actually today now either some people don't realize we do clothes because the bag because we're so known for our bags but a lot of people actually think we've always done clothes one of the things that was very important to me when I started clothing that this was not a marketing exercise it wasn't it had to be real I I I felt instinctively that that was very important a coach that we we had to be appealing to to a client I had a few clues you know it in many ways, I looked through coaches. When I looked through coaches' history, of course, Bonnie Cashin was an, a key figure uh, in coaches' history in the 1960s. So, and, and she was, you know, she had her own clothing line. So in a way, she brought a lot of her language 
um, into Coach Bags, which is still very present today. And so in a way, studying her work of clothing gave me some clues of what even a coach archive might have been. In, in a way, it was one of the most exciting challenges about joining Coach was that uh, very early on in the conversations, it was the leadership were looking for a big change. They really wanted to uh, to do something new. And that, in, that was explicitly discussed about introducing clothing, introducing fashion. And, and it was one of the things that's really intrigued me. So I did spend a lot of time thinking about it, figuring out how we could, you know, how we could approach this. And actually, one of the things that I felt was quite important was to go slowly. Because I think often what happens at a large brand is you go in very early, very big, you know, like, you know, a big runway show, 70 plus looks, whatever it is. It's, and, and actually I, I started smaller. I introduced clothing and fashion in a, a very deliberate way. Like the first collection I introduced, it was 18 looks. Uh, I took over a soundstage in New York City and spent seven days doing one-on-one appointments, explaining, you know, the collection, talking it through. And, and I was very fortunate. There was some things that really went in my favor with that collection. Um, it was an incredibly cold week and, um, there was snow on the ground everywhere. And this collection uh, featured a lot of shirling, shirling coats, shirling boots. And the response from a lot of people was, I, I just really want to wear that right now. And of course that ended up going into the commentary and I, it, it, it got a really positive, strong response. And I think that response really helped me because it wasn't just that it started to raise awareness in our industry, that people were talking about coach positively. And, and in a way, it meant that clothing got a head start, that people were just like, oh, yeah, it's great. I want to wear it. Um, but it also, within the company, people kind of sat up and were like, oh, okay, the, you know, maybe this person knows what they're doing. I, I don't know. It just, ha- it just helped. And, and then it was second season. We expanded a little. Uh, third season was still a presentation, but so it wasn't until actually my fourth collection that we showed on the runway. And I think that was an important factor now looking back. So l- let me work this out. So you, we started, you started in, um, 2013. You're saying it took another three years really before you turned it into a proper show. Um, but you then did quite a lot of things, didn't you? I mean, you, you took, coach into um, Europe, where I don't think it was at the beginning of your time. And um, you launched menswear in London. And um, then you had your first um, dual gender show in, wait for it, Shanghai. How did this all happen? I mean, it's a long way, isn't it, from Doncaster to um, Shanghai and in, in five years? Yeah, it was quite often the motivation there was to give a new awareness. And in a way, that's when we showed uh, men's and because we'd been showing then our uh, women's collection in New York at New York Fashion Week. So there was something interesting about going to London with, and also uh, um, London men's was, was an interest. There was a very interesting moment at that time. Um, so it, it was that thing of like going somewhere unexpected to launch something 
just felt instinctively right. I think it, it intrigues people because they're like, well, what, why is, why is suddenly this popped in up on the fashion calendar coach in London? What, what, what is that? You know, and it's similar in, in Shanghai. Like, um, I think that was our first runway show in Shanghai. So again, like to celebrate that, that occasion in a way we're like, let's do something different. You know, we've not, we've not shown our, uh, collections together you know so let's do something different it, it so many of those things are about pushing your own boundaries stretching yourself you know like that in a way that's again how you keep things fresh I mean it's, it's this is a slight tangent but we actually had a runway show in in Shanghai mid-pandemic which we created entirely remotely you know we created the collection remotely we we styled it remotely. We did hair and makeup remotely, and then we put on the event remotely. I, you know, it's a twelve-hour time difference between New York and Shanghai. You know, so we came into the office. I think it was like three or four a.m. and started the preparations for the show. You know, it was a full-scale show when you know when people could attend uh, runway shows. So there was something intriguing about that. But but yes, it was an absolutely enormous feat. I have no idea how we pulled it off, but we did. And it was ultimately what it showed us is what's possible. Like it just showed us that, you know, you when you put your mind to something, you can achieve anything. You know, Stuart, that uh, I've followed your career quite um, well and for quite a long time. And I think a lot of people realise that actually before where you are now, there was quite a lot of you being a, a fashion influencer. Um, particularly, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, Luevi, the famous Spanish handbag maker. Um, and that surely must have given you an introduction to the craft of the um, handbag. I mean, it's a really famous company and you worked with LVMH um, which, of course, is one of the great um, and strong gathering of designer fashion. And um, they had bought the uh, Spanish company. Was that the moment when you became international and ultimately global? Was that the time that you knew that you were going to do a little more than just go to New York and make a few handbags? <laughs> um, I guess... Uh... Absolutely. My first job after school was in actually in New York. So I was in New York in my early 20s. And then I went to Milan, then Paris, then back to London and then to Madrid. So what I realized at that point was my passion for what I do meant that I would go to where the most interesting uh, prospects were. You know, it was very clear that, I, you know, I would I was ready to uproot my life to to, to follow my passion. So, um. Can I just run through here and then you can tell me if you, if I've left anything out? So you worked <laughs> at Mulberry. Then what well, I was just talking about, you um, worked at Lueve in Spain. Then you worked at Calvin Klein. Was that in New York? And then you also worked with them, um, Bottega Veneta and Givenchy and, um, Louis Vuitton. A am I right about this? I worked for all of those brands. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, amazing learnings. You know, I, I worked for Givenchy and then was um, brought to Louis Vuitton, you know, within the group. Um, so I was working at both at the same time. You know, I worked for Marc Jacobs at Louis Vuitton and it was an incredible learning experience. Like I'm still very much informed by his way of working and his approach. So, yeah, uh, it, the order was Calvin, Bottega, 
Givenchy, Vuitton, Mulberry, Loewe coach. <laughs> and I also worked for Luella in, in the middle of that for, for, quite, uh, for a number of years. I haven't quite worked out here. Which ones were focused on um, handbags? I mean, in a way, most of those brands are, well, no, in fact, most of those brands are leather goods houses. So that's, that's you know, my career has been focused in that, in that world, leather goods houses, often leather goods houses, houses with a strong heritage, um, strong heritage of craft and craftsmanship. I worked for other creatives um, until I joined Mulberry. So it was Mulberry, Loewe and Coach have been when I was uh, creative director. Um, there's a lot of thought these days that maybe leather is something that shouldn't be thought of as automatically given to everybody. And you certainly have been very thoughtful in using old leather um, to remake fashionable things. Is that something deep in your heart? You know, ultimately, it is a byproduct of the food industry and it's a waste product. So I think it's very important how it's then created into something that can be used. I've spent a lot of time over the last four or five years really understanding more about the impact that we have on our planet and our industry. What started out as research and intrigue has become a, a genuine passion, you know, and I'm really determined to make uh, changes within our within our industry, but when it comes to leather, I think how it's created, how it's made, whether it's working with tanneries who have closed loop water systems, all the way through to more recently, we've been working with uh, regenerative farms who you uh, you know who use regenerative techniques on the on the land and uh, creating leather from that. So it's always about pushing forward and challenging, trying new things. But ultimately, I think. What fascinates me about leather as a material is it's about a waste product that when a creative craftsperson and a creative designer come together, they can create magic. They can create something from, from essentially what could be waste. Um, and I think that's, that's at the heart of what, what I do and what our industry does. And of course, there's the whole sort of design ethos because you have always seemed to want to appeal to Generation Z, the young, really young people. But at the same time, they may be young, but they have things like sustainability on their minds, really seriously so. So even though it might be a bag for a graduation present, signal um, in American life, it also can be something very meaningful to them. Yeah, and, and as I was learning and researching more about sustainability and what it could mean for how I approach my work, I often felt like a lot of the focus or, or conversation was really directed to the back end of the business, you know, whether it's production or sourcing, things like that. And I actually felt that it was important that, because everything starts with the creatives, the designers, and I feel like we have a, a responsibility to start to think differently at the beginning and to use our, you know, creative voices, our creative language, our creativity just to, to rethink this. There are a lot of challenges. There's so many things that 
you're told along the way, like, oh, you can't do it like that. You can't change that. And I think creative minds are able to find ways around it and to break the systems. And I've used Runway over the last, it's probably like going on for four, three or four years now as a real laboratory for the innovation around sustainability. And sometimes I start with one piece and that one piece becomes the seed of an idea that becomes bigger and bigger over time. Uh, the regenerative uh, leather, that example I gave was it started, we just made one series of bags in one runway show to see how we could work with it. And now it's a full program in, uh, within Coach. Um, and then also recently we've um, uh, launched a, a sub-brand called Coachtopia specifically around sustainability because again i thought could sometimes the systems can create barriers of uh, to change and i was like what if we start something new or in conversations here we said what if we start something brand new so we don't have any systems like we can just start this the, everything from scratch and it was an absolute game changer you know because it didn't exist before so we just rewrote everything and started from scratch and it's i think it's going to be really impactful actually i don't think just for coach i think it's going to be coach topia is going to have an impact across our industry and now Let's talk about something that's really new and exciting. You are a father to twins, and that surely has touched your whole approach to fashion and design and life, because nobody can get married and have children without thinking that the world has changed. Do you think there was a direct connection there, that you became much more thoughtful and the idea of rejuvenating old bags and used leather would be something that would be appropriate to the fact that you've got a new generation coming up there? Um, and then you've got your handbag line, the Coachatopia one. How do you support all those feelings of today? Do you somehow feel that you're in the circular economy and keeping down waste, that there are important things to think about? And somehow having children makes you feel more deeply about how you can change the world? I think, you know, I, perhaps it's a cliche, but it, it absolutely was the fact. You know, may, maybe it's a cliche because a lot of people, have, it has that impact on them. And it certainly did for me. Um, it made me think about my impact on the world and what I could do differently to create a better future for them. You know, it, it's, it's, it is that simple. And like you, like you just said, a lot of the examples we're exploring circularity, whether it's uh, recycling, closed loop systems where product can come back to us and, and we can give it a new life. We have a program now called, uh, Reloved where you can return uh, coach bags and we give them a new lease of life. We either, um, if there's damage, we repair it. If we have to take it apart to reuse the materials, we do. It's what I find actually most important with sustainability. When I first was researching this area, I, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear of like, if I speak about this, you know, is it going to be questioned? Like, because it's a journey. You've got to start. You've got to start doing things and once you do one thing, it'll lead to the next thing. You have to approach it without fear. And I think, or, or fear of getting it wrong, because I think it's just about doing it. It's about putting it out there and learning from things. And, and what's interesting is 
the more I do things, the more I talk about it, the more people approach me. You know, the more people will say, oh, I saw you talking about this. I was reading about this other idea. You know, companies will approach us. So it, it's by putting things out there into the world, even if they're not perfect yet, it just keeps the process going and it keeps you moving forward. And you have in your life another creative, your husband, Ben. And I was at the wedding of both of you. And um, if you remember, he worked with me at the International Herald Tribune a long time ago now. Do you find that working together that you sort of inspire each other? Or are you really creating things, not as opposites, but in, the, in your own little worlds? Actually, Susie, you might not know, but we are coming up for our 15th anniversary when we met. Um, and um, we actually met at, I think it was, your 20th anniversary party that's where we actually met um so that's <laughs> all my fault you to thank for for uh introducing me to my husband he was he was working the door at, at that event when i was working the international Herald tribune in paris yes um and and in fact i'm going he's been working in paris as you know recently and and i'm going to go over um, and we're going to celebrate our 15th anniversary of when we met there but all thanks to you in some ways, when we first met, he was involved in journalism. So we were in the same field, but it was different. And since then, he's actually transitioned to design. And we've never actually worked together. But it's great to have someone who knows the references, who knows the industry, who... And, you know, Ben comes from a particular way of thinking. He's quite an intellectual thinker. And I, in many ways, I'm very different. I, I love pop culture. I love you know, um, youth culture, counterculture. So we often come from different places, but he, he does inspire me. He inspires me by what he does and the conversations we have, but we've never actually worked together as yet. Of all the things you've learned over the last 10 years, what do you think is the most important thing that you have understood? After all, you, you know, you came to coach with actually, as we've just been talking about, quite a big and strong background. And yet you have brought something or you've used it in a particular way for coach. What have you learned? What have you felt? And what are you still feeling now? The thing I think is most important is to like, as, as a creative, I think is to, to really fight for what you believe in, to follow your instincts. Like those things that like drive you, your passions, the things that fascinate you, like... It's about really going after them. And there's a lot of people around you who are like questioning something or, you know, and you've got to hold firm. You've got to keep pushing forward. It's not about not collaborating or working uh, together with people and hearing different voices, but that instinct you have, those things that really like, you know, make you dream, make, excite you. You've got to hold on really tightly to them because there's a there's a lot of voices there's a lot of things out there and it's that those things that really make you different so that that's that that's for me i guess something i've learned cuz you know you can look back and the times when you did that or when you didn't do that and i see what the results were you know it's it when you really believe in something and you fight for it that's when that's when you move forward stuart vevers congratulations you learned how to produce your dream and make it part of your life. Thank you, Susie. It was lovely chatting with you. Thank you, Stuart. 
for your words. I've been thinking about your impact on the world and your approach to design since you and Ben have become parents. You seem to follow your instincts to face these challenges and changes in our fashion industry, including to create from waste. Here is to your next decade. And to you, my followers, I look forward to joining you in two weeks for my next episode. Keep listening. Creative Conversations with Susie Menkes is produced by Natasha Cowan, music by Jörg Zuber, graphics by Paul Wallace, and edited by Tim Thornton. To find my articles, visit susiemenkes.com and susiemenkes on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.